from the Gospel according to John, chapter 6, beginning at verse 16. Let me remind you that these are the very words of God. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our gracious and almighty God and Father, we give you thanks that we can be here in your presence to hear you speak your words to us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our closest kinsman and redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As I said last week, we're going to be spending the next uh, month or so in John chapter 6. As John chapter 5 was, it, it was a miracle that begins the, the episode and follows by a long discourse by Jesus unpacking all of the significance of that event. This discourse is actually bounded by two miracles. But uh, John does not call this a sign like he did the other, uh, but because mainly because the signs were public manifestations of the glory of God. And this is a miracle that's done privately for his disciples. Jesus, in verse 15, had evaded the crowd who would have forced him to be king. He had retreated further up the mountain. And John gives us no indication in the text that he had communicated anything with his disciples about what they should do next. We know from the other gospel writers that they, they had instructions. But in John, John is not concerned with that. Uh, and so they cannot stay in the wilderness forever. They must return home. And it would seem it was time to go back. And so they go back down the mountain to their boat on the Sea of Galilee and they depart for Capernaum on the other side in verse 16 and 17. And at that point, it was already dark. And, and as they make their way across the sea, grows rough from the wind. More importantly, John wants us to know that Jesus had not yet come. They had rowed about halfway across the Sea of Galilee, about three to four miles, when they look and see Jesus walking to them on the sea. Verse 19, And at first they were afraid until he speaks to them, commanding them not to fear. Verse 20, and Calm comes after the storm, and just as soon as Jesus was in the boat, did they reach their destination. Verse 21, and this episode ends just as quickly as it begins. And at first glance, it's not at all clear why John includes it, or other than to explain how Jesus arrived from where he was out in the wilderness, uh, because he begins his discourse in verse 22, 
And the crowd is sort of puzzled because uh, only one boat arrived. They saw the disciples leave in the boat and Jesus was not there. So is John just including this to tell us this is how Jesus came to the other side? I don't, I don't think so. But more than describe that mystery, this story of Jesus walking on the sea is the Apostle John's theological reflection on that event. The story of the Exodus is not complete after the Passover. Israel must first pass through the sea. Without that miraculous crossing in mind, or with that miraculous crossing in mind, the crossing of the Red Sea, which we read from Exodus 15, and, of course, the promises from Isaiah 43, John gives us a picture of Jesus bringing his disciples through a stormy sea in a second exodus. There are three images that emerge from this episode that create hope, that foster hope for all those who have trusted in Christ. The first is the common experience that all Christians have of walking in the darkness and the stormy night, what the Puritans often called desertion. The presence of Jesus and his ability to safely bring us to our final destination are the other two images that John brings out. So I want to spend some time with these five few verses to illustrate the Christian life, creating confidence in the one whose final promise to his disciples rings out across the storms and chaos of our own lives today. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Since Jesus has promised to be with us, even in the storms of life, we have this hope that he will bring us safely to our desired haven. But first, the disciples must pass through the darkness of night. You see, water is a symbol in the Bible for chaos and disorder. It's a symbol for the nations who are in turmoil. The dark depths, the hidden leviathons that churn up the deep. It's the dark waters that the Holy Spirit broods over at the beginning of creation. It's out of that chaos that God forms all that we have in creation. Dividing the waters above from the waters below and placing boundaries that the waters may not transgress. God is a God of order. And unlike the pagan myths, there's not a dualism of chaos and order. But Scripture portrays a dynamic relationship between God, uh, the God of the Bible, over chaos. Chaos is brought into the world by sin, and God orderly rules over it. You see, when the psalmist faced the darkness of feeling as if God had deserted him, he encourages himself by rehearsing the wondrous deeds of the Lord. He recounts the exodus. He reminds himself that God brought his people through the waters. And then he says this in in Psalm 77, verse 16. He says, "When, When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. 
you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You see, Israel stood on the bank of the Red Sea, the ecstasy of deliverance from Egypt. They were in bondage. And they watched as one after another God defeated the gods of Egypt and brought them out with a mighty arm. He delivered them and they plundered the Egyptians. But the path that they took out of Egypt was not one that they were expecting. For God brought them to the very edge of the Red Sea. And then furious in anger at all the loss that the Egyptians had suffered, Pharaoh raises his army and pursues them. And there they are. Flush with victory and yet despairing. Because how are we going to cross this great sea? How are we going to get out of this situation? And now Jesus Disciples must face the same dark night of the soul. They too must leave the joy of Passover and the bread from heaven to pass through the wine-dark sea. Because they also must learn what Israel learned before them, that I am is with them. That Yahweh is guiding them. Wouldn't it be nice if there were no chaos? Life move from one high to the next without skipping a beat? Wouldn't it be nice if upon trusting in Christ, the rest of your life was heaven on earth? Indeed it would. But given that sin still remains in us, refusing to let up its grip, God has ordained another way. The most, the confession in, in its in its chapter on providence, says this in in section 3, the most wise, righteous, and gracious God does at oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts, to chastise them for their former sins, or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and the deceitfulness of their own hearts, that they may be humbled, And to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself. And to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin. And for sundry other just and holy ends. See, unfortunately, we are so good at lying to ourselves. And what's worse, we believe them. We convince ourselves that our sin is not really that bad. I mean, at least when compared with so-and-so. We trivialize sin and we make it acceptable. But God loves you too much to leave you in sin. Even respectable sins like gluttony and gossip. And so He hides His face from you. He takes you through the darkness not because He hates you, but because He hates sin. Because He can't stand to see a person who His Son died for remain for any length of time in sin. But the darkness and storms of life are not always a result of our sin. We don't want to fall into being Job's friends. Sometimes God allows darkness and storms, trials and temptations for other just and holy ends. Largely, these revolve around raising us up to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon Him. 
Sadly, when things go swimmingly and everything is looking up, we don't, we don't always do that well. We get prideful and we begin to think that it was the strength of my hand that brought me out. Matthew Henry said, They had lately been feasted at Christ's table, but after the sunshine of comfort, expect a storm. Sadly, we need the darkness, we need the trials, we need the nights rowing alone across the raging sea to remind us how much we need God. So the darkness may be a sign that you have grown self-sufficient, that you are relying more on your own strength to get you through than on your trust and your confidence in God. The image of the Christian life this episode gives reminds us that Christians are no strangers to the dark. It may be that our path lies through the troubled waters, but what it does not show is that we are, what it does not show in this episode is that we are ever alone. In the middle of the sea, when it's pointless to go back, And all that there remains is for you to press on. There, Jesus meets his disciples. And this seems absurd, even if we we thought the waters were calm. In a rough sea where there comes Jesus walking on the sea. Walking does not seem to be the right word for this event. Thrashing, gasping for air, struggling to stay above the surface, but walking? There Jesus is, having an evening stroll on the lake. What's going on here? Jesus is doing what he always does throughout his whole life. He's fulfilling Scripture. As Jesus approaches the boat, he sees the terror of his disciples. Not only because they are trying to just stay alive and make it to the other side in one piece, but because here he comes, just Jesus, just strolling up on the waves. But he speaks reassuring words. He says, it is I, do not be afraid. While the phrase in Greek, it is I, is a normal construction John's use of it throughout his gospel is anything but normal. Ego emi can also be translated, I am. Jesus says, don't worry, I am is here. The one who is, whose existence is not dependent on anything, is here with you. The sovereign Lord, He is here with you. With you, John is, is connecting this event with a promise God made to his people Israel in Isaiah 43. In Isaiah 43, verse 1, it says, But now, thus says Yahweh, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, do not be afraid. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. Listen to this in verse 3. For I am 
I am. For I am Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Fear not, for I am with you. God tells His people, fear not, I am is with you. And when you pass through the waters, I'm there with you. Those waters will not over. You. And Jesus says to his disciples, harassed and tossed by the raging sea, I am. Do not be afraid. And the Psalms are filled with calls for God to overcome the waters his people find themselves in. I'm going to read these quickly. Psalm 18:16. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. Psalm 32, 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Psalm 33, 7. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Psalm 46, 2 and 3. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Psalm 74, 13. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the water. Psalm 77, 16. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. Psalm 77, 19. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Psalm 93, 4. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Psalm 104.3, he lays the beams of his chambers on the water. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. Psalm 144.7, stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters from the hand of foreigners. Over and over and over, the psalmist pleads with the Lord to calm the mighty raging waters that are overwhelming them. To be the God who comes into the midst of chaos and provides order that delivers him from the raging sea. It's not so strange that Jesus, the Son of God, the great I Am, should make a pathway through the sea. Should come to rescue His people. Should quiet their anxious hearts as they pass through the water and fires of life. You might have been thinking as I outlined that, that darkness and storms always attend followers of Christ. That, that, that's not a very good sales pitch for the Christian life. Come join the church and go with us into the darkness and storm. But that's because I saved the best for last. The truth is Jesus is there with you. He promises that he will be with you. Your job is to trust him. Not as one who is not familiar with the dark, but one who has has been thoroughly acquainted with suffering. Jesus himself passed through the waters. He was baptized into his death. He's thoroughly acquainted with suffering. The author of Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says, Since therefore the children... 
that's us, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that's Jesus, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus passed through the flood with the Psalms on his lips. He entrusted himself to God to save him. He entered the darkness of death, and on the third day he rose again from the depths of the grave, overcoming sin and death, plundering hell with the spoils of his victory, namely, all those who through fear of death were sentenced to eternal darkness of hell. He has passed through unimaginable darkness, And he gives you this promise. There is no dark storm, no trial or adversity that he will not accompany you in. Also, and dear saints, do you believe that? Do you trust that God is with you in the midst of your own suffering? I know you're suffering. You've told me it. And Jesus is with you in it. In your grief and your pain, in walking through that darkness, He has not left you alone. But also that He won't, He will be with you in the midst of suffering and He will bring you through to your desired haven. Notice how slow the first few verses of our text feel. Waiting, waiting on the shore. Then it grows dark. They're still waiting and Jesus isn't there. And then they start off on their own and they're rowing. And then they know better to go in the middle of a storm, but a storm arises. And now fear, they're halfway through. They, gotta, they have to make it to the other side. They're in the middle and they're waiting. And there's the fear and the doubts as they're tossed about on the water. And then at his appearance, strange and fearful, but there's hope. And hope, of course, never disappoints. And on recognition, the disciples urge Jesus into the boat. No sooner have they done this than they find themselves at their desired destination. Jesus fulfills yet another Old Testament promise. We read responsively from Psalm 107. And in verse 23, it says, Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy winds which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths and their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad 
that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Is this another miracle? Does Jesus somehow teleport them to the shore? How does he do this? Scholars and commentators waste so much ink on speculating about this. Perhaps the disciples realized once they were calmed by Jesus how close they were to their desired destination. Or maybe this is another miracle. All those really miss the point. And it's one Jesus has intended to drill into his disciples' heads over and over and over again. They are safe and he will bring them through to their eternal rest. They are the sheep of his pasture that he is leading and he will guard and keep them safe from their enemies. John 10. And although he must leave them for a time, he will come again. He leaves so that he can prepare a place for them. John 14. And it will take the subsequent reflection of the apostles, particularly Paul, to understand that Christ is now at his desired rest. Because we are in him, we too are at rest. Jesus has already brought you safely to your desired haven. For in him you are at rest. Through the, though the storms of life may rage, though doubts and troubles will assail you, nothing can separate you from the rest that Jesus has purchased for you. Where are you going? What are you striving towards? Are you making any progress? Maybe you have no rest in these troubled waters of life because you do not have Christ in the boat with you. Or better, you have not climbed into His boat. Throughout history, in art and and Christian imagination, the church is an ark. Sometimes the architecture of the church made this explicit. The rafters overhead resembled the ribs in the hull of a boat. Only in the church, the body of Christ, can one find refuge from the storm. Only in the ark of the church can one reach their desired haven. In Christ, God has already brought you to your desired destination. I've told you before, the reason why God gives us a glimpse of the last days, eschatology, is so that we know how to live right now. Eschatology is about ethics. God reveals His plan so that we are not found waiting for Him in a drunken stupor. But we're found waiting patiently, enduring. We are given a glimpse of the new heaven and the new earth and promise that what what Christ has accomplished in His triumph over sin and death is your promised eternal rest so that we know how to live now in the time between. He who sat down at the right hand of the Father is at rest, and by His Spirit, you are there with Him. It is our consideration of these things that enables us to make our way in the storms of life by reminding ourselves that not only is it true that Jesus will bring us to our desired haven in a very real way, He already has. Only by knowing that Jesus, the great I Am, bids you not to be afraid and promises that He will come again to meet you, to to bring you where He is, to 
your desired destination. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are so grateful, not only that you, not only as we see all of, all that Christ has fulfilled, all the promises that in him are yes and amen, that he who himself plunged himself in the darkness and the storms of sin and death and hell so that he could rise again and bring us to our desired rest. But it is he who also promises never to leave us or forsake us. That in him we have peace in the midst of storm-tossed lives. That in him we can safely trust and not be afraid because we know that the waters will not overwhelm us, that we will pass through safely, and that you, Father, by your Son and through your Spirit, will bring us to our eternal rest. We have that strong hope and confidence that is like an anchor to us, so that we know nothing in this life could ever separate us from the love of Christ. It's in his name we pray, and amen.